Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. It was taking a long time for this son to come. And so Abraham's wife, Sarai, suggested that he go into her handmaiden, Hagar. Right? You guys familiar with this story? You guys know this, all right? So he went into Hagar and they had a son. His name was what? Ishmael. That was not the promised son. That, that was not what God intended. That was a work of the flesh. That was them saying, God, you're taking too long. We're going to help you out. And boom, they made Ishmael. God said, that's not what I promised. Are you waiting on the promises of God? In today's message from Pastor Bill, he explains to you the differences between Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac was the promised son of God. Ishmael was the son that came through man's impatience. Pastor Bill encourages you to wait on the promise that God has given to you. Don't strive in your flesh out of impatience to make his promises come about in your life. They will unfold in his perfect timing. Put your trust in God's word and knowing he will do what he has said. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Galatians chapter 4 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Sometimes when you've evangelized and a person gets saved right on the spot, it's that somebody's been sowing and watering for years and you just came and plucked that fruit off the tree. It feels good, but it, it, it's not as encouraging if you happen to be one that's sowing. You know, sowing a seed, you got to break up the ground and, you know, put the seed in and cover it up. And watering is not too funny. Anybody like watering, just, just watering. It just seems like I don't see anything happening yet. Nothing's happening yet. That's sometimes what evangelizes a lot. Nothing's happening yet, but something is happening. You sowed and you watered, and now God has something to work with. God will bring the increase. Amen? And so Paul says, look, you know, when I first came, you guys received me even as Jesus Christ. And then verse 15, he says, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? And he's recounting for them. When you guys got saved, you guys enjoyed a blessing. What was the blessing you enjoyed? And I'm going to tell you, the blessing was the freedom that came from a relationship with Jesus. They were set free. They were forgiven of their sins. They had understood what grace was, that God had, God loved them for nothing, his unmerited favor. They had come under the true teaching of the gospel. And Paul said, what was the blessing you enjoyed? He's wanting them to recount and to recall this. He says, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And Paul said, you guys were, the, the relationship between us was such that, because I had messed up eyes, you guys would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. I thought, man, I, I don't know if I had bad eyes. I don't know if anybody at this church would be like, you know what, Bill, here, you know, I'm, here's my eye. If I could, you know, Paul says the love was strong. You know, the relationship between us, it was great. And then what happened? He says, have I therefore, verse 16, become your enemy because I tell you the truth. And I was just pause. Paul said, now something happened when I first came. We, you guys received me as an angel or as Jesus Christ. You guys enjoyed the blessing of salvation and the message of grace. And you guys loved me so much. You would have plucked out your own eyes to fix mine. And now after these false teachers have come in, you've been corrupted in your mind. Now I've become the enemy. Now, because I tell you the truth, I'm the enemy. And I'm going to just say this because we people fall on both sides of this. Some of us are people that are, we're, we're truth tellers. We're talking to people, we're sharing the truth and love, we're ministering the truth. And it's amazing when someone wants to follow God and you're telling them the truth, they're so thankful. Oh, thank you for that. I didn't know where that was. Thank you for that. Man, they're just so edified and built up and encouraged. And it actually blesses the relationship. 
But what happens when someone decides, kind of puts their feet in the mud, and I want to continue to do this thing, and you're, be, you're the one that's telling them what the Bible says. You become the enemy. How many parents here have experienced that? Where as you stand up for what's right before your kids, who, you know, on Christmas Day, you were the best person. Yes, mom. Yes, mom is great. You know, but now today, as I'm telling you that, no, that's wrong and that's not going to be accepted. And no, you can't go to that because the Bible says now you're the enemy. I become the enemy. Not, I haven't changed anything. You changed. Now, because of what's happened in you, I'm the enemy. So I would say this to those that are in the position of telling the truth, because it's difficult sometimes. It, it'd be difficult to be a person that tells the truth if you need to be liked. You cannot be a servant of Christ, not a faithful servant of Christ, if you need to be liked. If you need everybody to like you, if you need everybody to agree with you, if you need everybody to be your friend, then you cannot be a servant of Christ. Because sometimes telling people the truth, many times it's unpopular. It's unpopular to tell somebody the truth, but it's necessary and it might save their life. And so there are times where if you're someone that's going to stand for the truth, when you speak it, it's, it's hard to hear. You know, I've had people pin me down in crazy situations. And it's like, well, I'm a, if I tell the truth and I'm going to tell the truth, it's somebody's going to be upset here. But I know situations where telling the truth to help people and people got saved and people got set free and people moved in the right direction. Um, so I would first say to those that are called to teach, called to share that we can't can't love to be liked so much that I withhold the truth because God will have to use somebody else. You, you become useless in the hand of God if you can't speak up when needed. And there are times where it might be your kids, it might be your friends, it might be a brother or sister at church that reveals something to you and you're like, that's what you're doing? Bro, that's wrong. You're a Christian? You can't do that. That's not okay. It's not okay to continue like that and, and it might really benefit them but it won't be popular. Here's the flip side. If you're the person who is being told the truth and if you make the enemy, if you make those that are speaking God's truth to your enemies, you need to be careful, right? If your friends are those that, you know, agree with your lies or agree with your, you know, false living and your friends are, or your enemies are those that speak the truth, you have to look at your life and say, what team am I on? Um, and so it, it goes both ways. There are times where, you know, that, that, that old adage, the truth hurts. It's true. I've had the truth slap me upside the head. The truth hurts. And it doesn't matter who it comes to. I've had my kids say something truthful that was like, mm, oh, man, because it's true. You can't deny it. Can't, can't, you, know, you can't get away from it. It just, that stings. That hurts. Um, the truth will hurt sometimes. Anybody here been hurt by the truth? Right? It, it hurts. But if it's true, it behooves you to go ahead. Let me, it's hurt. That stung. Hurt my feelings. You know, but I need to receive it because it's true. If I can go back in my Bible and read it, I need to go ahead and deal with that. Uh, not run from it. And not make the person that said it to me the enemy. Because that's what happens sometimes. If I do that, I'll never grow and I won't get anywhere. And so Paul said, look, I'm the one that God sent for sure to lead you guys to Christ. Now, after these people came in, I'm the enemy. I'm, I'm the bad guy now. Obviously, the thing that changed was them. God didn't change. Paul didn't change. They changed. And they needed to change back. They needed to, to turn back from where they had come from. And so maybe there's some of you here today that you need to turn back to the Lord. Maybe you've been fighting with the truth and in fighting with the truth, you fight with those that stand for the truth. And again, I, I think all the years of doing youth ministry, I saw that so often with kids and parents where there'd be kids who they just, they didn't like what they were being told. And so they would fight against their parents. Some parents 
power to their kids. Some parents want to be their kid's friend so bad that they they basically they back off. I've had parents that just say, you know what, they're going to do it anyways. I'd rather have them do it in my house. Really? So they fornicate in your house. They get high and drunk at your house because it'd be better for them to do it here than do it out there. Like like they don't do it out there, too. And I've had Christian parents that they succumb to that. Well, you know, this is going to happen anyway. No, no, you got to hold up a standard. You know, you, you ain't got to know where you going to go. You don't, we don't pay. You don't have a job yet. You know, you everything you have, you eat because I feed you. You have clothes I bought. I bought the sheets on your bed, the socks on your feet. Not here. Not going to happen because it's wrong. Parents have to hold a standard. There are parents that cower to their kids that want to be their kid's friend. The kids are mad at them. It's like your feelings are hurt. It's, it's going to be times where in order to parent godly kids in a, in a godless world, that war is going to be real sometimes. But this is what happens when kids grow up. Kids grow up and they look back with, with older eyes and they'll appreciate. I grew up and I had I have both. Right. I had a, I had a parent that fought me tooth and nail on everything. And I did go to war with that parent at times. I had another parent that was more relaxed. Hey, whatever you want, you know, we'll be waiting. Just, just, you know, we, we were cool. We were cool. And as a kid, I thought that was so cool. You know, my friends thought it was cool. But you know, when I grew up, I realized this thing over here brought me into deeper bondage. This one over here, when I got old enough to look back, I understood that it was love. I understood that, that, that all that fighting and crying and fussing and throwing my stuff away was love. Uh, and and I, that's my mother. So my mother did some stuff that, you know, some y'all moms were crazy. You know, my mom, my mom watched a news report about, you know, how they profiled gangsters. And she was like, you know, they were talking about hats and different, you know, teams and this and that. I came home. I had all these hats nickname on this side. And you had hats to match shoes. And so you can go to Magic Mountain with the crew and everybody looked like this. And I, I never forget. I went home after school one day and I had a rack with all my hats. You know, on my wall, they were all gone. And I was like, oh, I'm on punishment? You took my hats away? What happened to my hats? And I saw this thing on the news, and, and it's gangsters, and you're gonna, they're going to pick you up, and you're going to look like a gangster, they're going to shoot you, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, where are my hats, woman? I want my hats. You know, I bought those hats with my money. Wasn't having it. Them hats was gone. And she had bagged them up and sent them away. Now, here go the worst thing. Her boyfriend came over one day with one of my hats. I said, man, no, yeah, with one of my hats. Now, hey, and it wasn't nothing I could do about it. Nothing I could do about it. Just deal with it. I was, I was irate, but as I grew up, I look back and think, I got kids now. And if I, if I felt like my kids looking like this might get them shot or get them harassed, then I would say, I'm, I'm going to take that away. You know, that was what she was doing. She was saying, I'm, I, I love you and I can't have you out there getting shot and harassed. So I'm taking all your hats. I don't care what you say. Well, bam. Um, that's what it's going to take sometimes, parents. And so y'all stop cowering to your kids and lead them. Because if you won't lead them, who can? Who can? If you won't have authority over them, nobody can. If you don't have authority over your kid at home, the teachers at school can't have authority over your kids. Because... You get a kid at school who parents discipline them. And that, parent, that teacher say, I'm going to call your mother. You know what that kid does? No, well, I'm sorry, Miss Teacher. I, what, you know, they, they, they straighten up. You get a kid that don't get no discipline at home. I'm going to call you. Call my mother. <laughs> you ain't but seven years old. 
talking like that. That's a reality. That's that. You see that kid and you know that that's those parents fault. Those parents are failing. And if they're Christians, even worse, because we've been mandated by God to train them up in the way they should go. That's all extra. Not in my notes. Somebody needed to hear it. Moving on. All right. <laughs> verse verse uh, 17. Yes. Verse 17 says they are they zealously court you, but for for no. I'm sorry. But for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. And Paul, speaking of the, the false teachers that would come, he says, they zealously court you. They they they're zealous in their their appeal and they're reaching out. And so sometimes Christians are made to feel bad when we look at, you know, the different cults that are out there. You know, you see the Jehovah's Witnesses out there and it's like, man, they're going hard. And how many guys have heard someone say, you know, well, look at how look at the Jehovah's Witnesses. Where are you guys at that? They love to tell Christians that. Why are they out there? They're trying to earn something that they can't even earn. They're out there hoping for hope that if I do enough hours, if I serve good enough, if I put in enough time that maybe just maybe I could be accepted. And imagine if you thought that your only hope of being accepted by God was to outwork the other people that, you know, it just imagine the that that they're out there working for something that they don't even know if they'll get it or not. They're, they're just they're working really, really hard because they to hope. How empty is that? For you and me, God said, look, you got it already for free. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid it in full and he took his, he took your sinful, wretched life. He paid the penalty. He took his perfect, holy life because you believe in him and apply that to you. Therefore, you're acceptable before the Lord because of what Jesus did for you. You believe and receive, you are saved. That's yours. Believe and receive. But what do I have to do to believe? It's yours. I received you. But, but I want God to love me. Unmerited favor. God said, I, I love you when you were unlovely. When you were your worst, I loved you. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love. And that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. You can't be bad enough for God to not love you. You can't be wicked enough. God's like, I died for the wicked. So if you believed in me, I have saved you. Nothing that you did, everything that I did. Now, everything we do is in response to that. Now, because of what Jesus did, I do repent and I turn from my sins and I turn to the Lord. Now, because of what Jesus did, I serve him. Now, because of what he did, I, I sacrifice, I give, I may serve, I may live a, a, a zealous life for the Lord, but it's not so God will love me. It's because he loved me so much already. Amen. And so for the believer, the motive is different. The, the why is different. I'm so thankful. I'm glad that when I was lost, you found me. I'm glad that when I was broken, Lord, you, you, you cared. Uh, when there was nothing lovely about me, you were loving me. And so now as I, my, the better I understand what he did, I just want, I at least want my life to say that I, I'm thankful. I've never earned it. I'm not trying to earn it, but I at least want my life to say, God, I appreciate, I am thankful for what you did. You did my life was not saved in vain. That you, you spared me and I, I'm surrendering to you all. And it just looks a lot different that way. We're not earning. We're thankful that we have it for free. Right. And so we go out witnessing. We're not witnessing so that God will like us more. He's like, man, we, we're witnessing because he loves sinners. So we just want other people to know about it. What we got, what we have is so great. We want others to know about it. So we're sharing it. We, we don't hope to win great favor with God. If we go out in teams to witness, we're not competing. 
I'm not hoping that my group saves more people than your group. So God will like my group more than your group. We go out and we're like, look, we're all sewing together, watering together, praying together, working together. Nobody's great but God when we get done. Amen. Amen. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's what legalism wrecks. Legalism makes it about you and what you did and what you accomplished, how much work you put in. And the more of you there that there is, the less of him that's glorified. And so um, we want to be cautious about taking, letting that take root in our hearts. The Galatians had let that take root. And now it was causing them to be at odds with the Apostle Paul, who loved them, who God had used to save them initially. Um, and he, he's telling you, he said, look, they're zealous for you, but it's not for good. That you may, they want you to be zealous for what they do. And like I told you guys earlier, Jesus said, you guys travel the earth to make one proselyte. And when you do, you make him twice the son of hell that you are. Verse 18, he says, but it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. And not only when I am present with you, he says, being zealous is not bad if it's for the right thing. Verse 19, Paul tells him again, he speaks very tenderly to them. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. And I want you just to hear Paul's heart. Paul's like, I'm, I'm my little child. I'm laboring in birth. Now I've never given birth, but I've seen birth and it is labor. Paul says, I'm, I'm laboring intensely for you guys. I, I want you guys to get this. I want to see Christ formed in you. That's his goal. That's his heart. And I want you to know, Paul, I don't want, I don't want to be formed. I want Christ to be formed in you. I want you guys to receive Christ. That's what I want you to understand who he is and what he's done for you and receive that in truth. Verse 20, I would like to be present with you and now to change my tone for I have doubts about you. And that's kind of, uh, you know, a, a pivotal verse. Paul says, Look, I, I wish I could be with you guys and I wish I could change my tone, but I have doubts about you guys. And again, I would just put this likeness to parents and any parent here that's had to be corrected with your kids. I don't think any parents enjoy that. Uh, no parent enjoys having to take the disciplinary tone. Uh, I, I tend to have fun with my kids. We joke, we play, we have a good time. But when it's time for discipline, it's like, I don't enjoy it, but I will do it. And you got to sit down and we're talking and you see their faces. My kids cry when I, when, you know, they look all sad and disappointed because I'm talking to them and they know I'm not happy with what they're doing. And I don't enjoy it. I don't sit there. I got you crying now. Ooh, you know, I'm sitting there like, I don't like that. I wish you would just do right so we could not be having these kind of difficult discussions. Now, hear what I'm saying and take it and do it so we can stop this. You know, Paul is saying, look, I wish I could change my tone. I don't, I don't enjoy talking to y'all like this. I don't want to write a book of correction to you guys. But I'm not going to shut up till y'all get it right because it's that big of a deal. And then he says, maybe the more critical part, Paul says, look, I have doubts about you. I'm not sure where you guys are. I'm not positive. I have doubts. I don't want to have doubts. I want to be sure, but I have doubts about you. And in the past, when you do funerals, sometimes you do funerals for people that have lived so fruitfully for the Lord that you feel confident to just share their life. Their life almost preaches itself. You know, there's, there's not doubt. You can give the family all the hope of, you know, all the promises given to those that die in faith. They're with the Lord. No sorrow, no suffering, no pain, no tears. You know, they're with Jesus. You know, you can give them all these different things that we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. They have, you know, they have hope. They're with the Lord. But sometimes you do a funeral for someone and it's like, I don't know. Ask the family, hey, do they know the Lord? Ah, you know, we shared with them. Hmm. We have doubts. And it's a different thing because I can't, I'm not going to lie. 
I just what, what I typically do in those days, I'll just preach the gospel to the people that are there. I can't speak on their life. I don't know. There, there's there's room for doubt. So I would challenge us that we would live in such a way. Uh, I'm, I'm not hoping that anybody dies anytime soon. I hope you all live to be really, really, really old or to the rapture. But, you know, <laughs> if that be bar that right, that I pray that we would live in such a way that if we die, people would be able to say, I know that they're with the Lord. Confident. Um, because it gives great hope to those left behind. Uh, it's the only hope that they can have that you're with the Lord. That they'll see you again. Um, and so uh, Paul says, man, I have doubts about you guys. And he didn't want to have doubts, but he had them. I have doubts. It's not clear where you guys are at. What's going on? Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And from this point, Paul goes on to uh, share a story from the Old Testament. I'm going to tell it to us so that when we read it, it kind of makes sense. Paul says there's a story in the Old Testament of Abraham and the two sons that he had. And he, he says in this scenario here that they're a picture of what we're looking at here. So uh, God told Abraham he was going to bless him. He was going to have a son that through this son, the multitudes are going to be blessed. Uh, it was taking a long time for this son to come. And so Abraham's wife, Sarai, suggested that he go into her handmaiden, Hagar. Right. You guys familiar with this story? You guys know it's all right. So he went into Hagar and they had a son. His name was what? Ishmael. That was not the promised son. That that was not what God intended. That was a work of the flesh. That was them saying, God, you're taking too long. We're going to help you out. And boom, they made Ishmael. God said, that's not what I promised. Much later, when God was good and ready, when it was going to be an absolutely supernatural work of God alone, God touched Abraham, who was old, too old, the Bible says. He touched Sarai, who was old and her womb was barren and he touched her womb and they came together in their old, old age and they had a miracle child named Isaac. That was the son of promise. Here's the difference. The son of the flesh, who, who made that happen? They did in their own. They, they conjured it up. They made a plan. They made it happen. They did this in their own strength and they brought them about here. What we did. God said, that's the, the works of the law. It's what you did. Not good enough. Over here, the son of promise, Abraham was too old. That means that he was no longer in function to go make a baby with his wife. Right? Follow what I'm saying? All right. Sarah had already been barren. So it was like everything was broke. Everything was against this. And God touched him and God touched her. I don't know how they knew that have a romantic night, but they came together at, at you know, was 190. I mean, I hope at 190. I mean, praise the Lord. You know? <laughs> they came together at 190. That was miraculous. I mean, a 90-year-old pregnant woman. That whole pregnancy had to just have the community like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Come here. They were rubbing that belly. I mean, that had to be the most awesome. And who, who would get all the glory for that? God. They walk around, Sarah, this is pregnant. God, this is what God promised. God said it when that baby was born. I, there had to be a celebration like no other celebration. That look at look at him. Look at the 90-year-old woman. A promise that God promised. And I'm bet he was loved and just they were so thankful. And then they would do a big celebration when a child was weaned. And so on Isaac's time to be weaned, they had the big celebration. And this kid's a big deal, and everybody's celebrating what God did. But Ishmael was looking and he mocked him. And Sarah saw it. Sarah, I saw it. 
and she told I, she told Abraham, get that woman and her child out of here. You should have never had two women with babies in the first place. Uh, that never works. Anytime that's ever happened, it doesn't work. But she said, they got to go. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul fought against the Judaizers who were trying to make the Galatians follow the Old Testament law after they had been saved. Paul presents an eloquent and passionate argument about the purpose of the law and the finality of being saved through God's grace. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul reminds the reader over and over that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he had provided for our salvation once and for all. There is nothing else we need to do to be saved. There is nothing else we can do to add to our salvation. It's all been done for us by Jesus. Thanks for joining us today on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been making his way through the book of Galatians, and together we're learning so much about God's incomprehensible grace. God's grace is so amazing that it's a message we have to share with the world, and you can join us. We have two ways for you to give. There's online giving on our website, calvaryinglewood.org, or once you're on the website, you can download the mobile app and give from there. Once again, that website is calvaryinglewood.org. While you're there, check out all the great resources we put together for you, including our daily Bible reading plan. Well, we're coming to the end of our time for you today, but don't worry, we'll be back again. Be sure to join us next time for another great message right here on A Transforming Word.